Welcome to the Spiritually Minded Women podcast. If you're a woman who is ready and willing to be a follower of Jesus, you're in the right place. Join me as we dive in deep to learn how to embrace your journey on the covenant path with checkpoints instead of checklists. I'm your host, Darla Trindler, and I'm cheering you on. Welcome to your journey. Have a great guest for you today. It's MacArthur Krishna, who is the author of several books, including The Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother and The Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother. Yes, we are going to talk about Heavenly Mother, and I am really excited to share this interview with you. The first half of the interview is MacArthur talking about her own life and following personal revelation that she received, even though it didn't look like the personal revelation that others might be receiving and how she followed that and how it has blessed her life. And then in the second half of the interview, we dive in and we talk about Heavenly Mother. And I want to come on at the very beginning and tell you, if you're someone who has thought in the past that talking about Heavenly Mother was taboo, it's something that's too sacred to talk about, there's lots of documentation. And in fact, MacArthur shares in this interview that no prophet or apostle ever has said that we we shouldn't talk about her. And so I'm really excited to share this interview because I've learned so much about her in the last few years, and I think that we need to talk more about her. And so I'm really excited for you to hear what MacArthur has to share. And now here is the interview. Welcome to the Spiritually Minded Women podcast. This is Darla, and I have a treat for you today. Such a great guest, someone that I've admired and have heard on other podcasts and read books and just so grateful that she's here today and can't wait to introduce you to her. So I would love to introduce you to MacArthur Krishna. MacArthur, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So happy to have you. Will you start off and just introduce yourself? Yeah. I think what most people would know me by is MacArthur Krishna is that I write children's books for Deseret Book. I was going on a road trip this summer and I actually had someone approach me and say, I recognize your name. And that was the first time that it happened. I was a little bit startled. Obviously, MacArthur Krishna is a little bit of it that comes out, but no, it surprised me. Beyond that, I'd say I was um, born in Provo, as my parents were going to BYU, grew up in wild and wonderful West Virginia. I was just talking to a friend about how much that influenced my identity, that it really became, I was literally a poster child for Mormonism. So (laughs) in my hometown, they do this huge parade where like 200,000 people come to my town. My town is like 10,000 people. 200,000 people come into my town and they do this big festival. And the church decided to do a Families Are Forever float. And we built a model of the Washington, D.C. temple. And then kids from the congregation sat and did the wave, right? All the way, like the route of the parade route. And so quite literally, I was a poster child for our faith. And then because we were a small town and we were one of the few Mormon families, and because there were eight of us, it really quickly became that we were known as the LDS Mormon at that time, family Mm -hmm. in town. And so I would say from the very early days of my life that my faith was both something that was really internal, but also something that was clearly an identity and a marker for how I was going to interact with the world. So what I talk about on my podcast is journeying on the covenant path and finding your own unique journey and just embracing it and saying that doesn't have to look like everybody else's. And I would definitely say that your journey would. Yours is a very unique one. So we're going to jump forward. We talked about, you talked about your childhood and growing up in West Virginia. I know you went to BYU and, mm-hmm. and you went through your life doing good things. And then you found your husband. 
So let's, do you want to back up anywhere from there? No. Can we start, start your story right there when you met your husband? So first I graduated from BYU twice. Okay. Had opportunities to get married to some marvelous LDS men. But every time I prayed about it, that was not my path. And I moved to DC, was living in DC in the most fabulous congregation I've ever experienced. And I was 37 years old when I finally met and married my husband. And I spent a year of that prior to that praying and fasting every week. That's a lot of fasting for the record. Every week for 50 some weeks. And I was living with an amazing LDS roommate. And every time I just kept being like, this is insane. She would bring me back and say, have you talked to God about this? Have you talked to God? And so this was the wrestle that I was, as I just said, the poster child right, mm-hmm. yeah. of LDS faith. And I met someone who is not of our faith. And, and while I was 37, let's be very clear. I was not considering marrying him out of desperation. Like I I had said no enough times that if I needed to say no, I was capable of that. But what kept happening is every time I kept saying, this is too crazy. If I marry him, I'm going to move to the other side of the planet. I'm going to become a stepmom. I'm going to leave my business, my home, my family, my work, my house. I own a house. Like I was very happy and rooted, happy. In fact, like Mm -hmm. I went to a single adult event. And this one woman said, oh, we're just the dregs because we're older. And I like stood up and my roommate like pushed me back down <laughs> into my seat. And I'm like, I'm not a dreg. I'm out of here. Like, right, I actually right. sincerely have, in fact, right here's, my mother may not appreciate this, but she's a good woman. So she'll forgive me. But she once said to me, honey, I just wish you'd find someone. And I said, I know mom, but honestly, I am happy. She said, I know. I wish you were a little less happy because then you might be motivated. Right. <laughs> This wasn't out of desperation. You're living a fulfilled life. Sincerely happy. I co-owned a business with some dear friends. We were doing good work in the world. I loved being a young professional in Washington, D.C. There's so much to enjoy there. And I was traveling and yeah, I liked my life. And, and so to meet Vade and during that year, I kept having this, this is your path. And I kept being like, no. And occasionally even a few notable times. I'd be like, I'm out of here. I can't do this. In fact, one time I even said, look, I know this is cheating. I was talking to God. Look, I know this is cheating. I know that personal revelation is supposed to come to me, but I am so tired. And my brain feels like it's imploding from cognitive dissonance trying to make this decision. I can't keep doing this. So I'm just going to go to bed. And if you want me to continue this relationship with this person, you have to tell him. And at that point in time, he and I were not even communicating because we couldn't. And I went to bed and at six o'clock in the morning, my phone rang and my now husband said on the phone, I've just been thinking about you all day. And I know I'm not supposed to reach out and be in touch with you right now, but I just, I've been waiting for you to like be early enough that I could call you because he was on the other side of the planet Mm -hmm. that I just thought that I should be in touch with you today. And things like that happened multiple times. Another time you sent me this email that made me so grouchy. I was like, oh, watch this. You're about to get righteous indignation, like falling, pouring on your head. And I flipped over my computer to break it off with him and tell him to buzz off in stringent terms. And my fingers literally would not type. 
So I said, okay, let me say a prayer. Dear Lord, I really would like to tell this person off. This is the perfect moment. I've been sick of this. I can't do this. This is too hard. Like I'm out of here. So you just tell me what to say. And what floated into my mind was music, which was a little bit of a surprise because I'm not a musical person. And I'm like, what is that? And it was the hymn, Lead Kindly Light. Mm. So then I started thinking about the lyrics because I'm a words person. And the words were one step enough. And I said, okay, Lord, what's the next step? And instead of righteous indignation, what poured out of my fingers was a very quick, very brief invitation for him to meet up with me. And he told me that he was on his way home from work and he was on his motorcycle and he's like holding his cell phone, like up in the air, trying to get a signal in this little Indian town because he knew that he was going to get it as soon as I received this email. And so he literally was like fearing for his life. And he said, I finally at a railroad crossing, like ping, your email came in and I flipped it open. And there's just like a one sentence invitation. And I kept being like, has it not downloaded? There must be more here, right? Yeah, there's no way (laughs) she should send this. So then when we met up, he said to me like, that really surprised me. That's not what I thought was going to happen. I'm like, oh, it is not what was going to happen if it was left to me. Like I was going to like literally rain down like fire and damnation on your head. Like that was, it was coming. And, um, and I got told something different. So I sent something different. But for me, it was actually, this sounds funny, but it was, I went in to talk to my state president about all this because it was just blowing my mind. And he said, off and on on the years, you've talked to me about different relationships and different paths. But, and this is what's marvelous, I think, about our gospel is that he said, you are doing the work. You are speaking in prayer. You are seeking revelation. So I'm happy to talk to you about this but you're getting revelation from the place you need to get it from. And that is one of my husband's favorite things about our faith is that no matter how we feel about things really differently, right? Because politically we can be really differently. The state of the world right now has lots of schisms in it. And so he would joke that I had like my own brand of Mormonism. But then as he started to meet different people in my life who all thought differently about things, even within my own immediate family, He said, what's the most amazing thing is every single time I ask them, if you're trying to make a decision, if something hard is happening, if this, blah, 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 their immediate response is always, you turn to God. And I thought my stake president was super wise to validate that, that he was there to be an assist, but he was not there to get in between me and revelation, that me turning to heaven was where the relationship needed to be. Which frankly still didn't make it easy. That's what I was thinking. There had to be lots of obstacles still. Even then we get an answer. We know something's right. There's still obstacles. Absolutely. And I was such a rookie because I was like, oh, okay. So in my defense, I was a rookie. But in my defense, previous times when I'd received answers to prayers, paths just rolled out. So when I decided to go to BYU for graduate school, I actually was more interested in a different program and again, prayed about it, what I should Mm do. And it rolled out that I should go to BYU, which didn't have the program I was interested in. So that was a little bit baffling, but things just fell into place and the path got smoothed. So I was like, oh, this is a path I should be on. I had never experienced before that I could be on God's path and it could just get harder because God's path we like to think of is like roses and rainbows and everything smooth Mm -hmm. and lovely right yeah and and it's more my tone of voice there than the actual words I use it's just "Ah." but God's path I for me I learned is also a path of growth 
if what we're trying to do is move from being born to returning to live with our heavenly parents, then there is a big gap in there between our souls and our heavenly parents' soul, right? There's a lot of soul development that's demanded on that path. And that means that if we're on God's path, growth will be demanded, especially if you're like me and you don't right. volunteer, like volunteer for yeah. that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not signing up for that. And so it shouldn't have come as a surprise. That path got more challenging and more growth demanding, but it did because I had yeah. never experienced that intensity before. And frankly, I was very aware. You obviously, well, okay, that's silly. I was not very aware. I thought I was aware, but there was all sorts of things that crop up once you'd make a path that yeah. you have no idea about. And some of those are huge blessings, which we can spend time talking about. And some of them um, have been, have caught me off guard. And some of them are still uncomfortable. So I just moved um, from India to the other side of the world. I now live in America again. And I have to walk into a congregation where no one knows me there. So when I was deciding to marry my husband, I was the gospel doctrine teacher. And I stood up one Sunday to be like, hey, guess what, everybody? I'm getting married. And I was in a family ward. And I started to justify this to people to say, I, I promise I've been praying and fasting for a year. I've talked to the state president. And literally this woman stopped me. And she said, MacArthur, we know you. Of course you have done this faithfully. And I'm going to cry because it was such a gift. It was such a gift from this congregation, this idea of we know you. Because now I go into a new congregation who does not know me. And it is clear that people can make assumptions. We all do it. We all make assumptions about one another's life based on actually really very little data. And so I make an assumption about whether or not someone's wearing a mask, right? I have assumptions yeah. about that person's choices, even though I know nothing about their prayful process. I know nothing about their internal workings. I know nothing. So I walk into church and I am the person sitting on the pew without my husband. He doesn't come. And so someone not knowing me can make all kinds of assumptions about who I am and what my testimony is and what I think of these things without knowing the thing about the process that took me to get there. And I thought for me, one of the key things that's come from this experience is just the grace. If I would like other people to give me grace, because they don't know what kind of process I went through to get to this point, I also have to give other people grace. And so I recently wrote this article for the um, LDS Women Project called Loving the Other. And this need for us to follow our Savior's example in loving the other. And so I know one of the questions, can we jump to the end? I'm going to jump to the end and then jump back. I know one of the questions you ask yes. people is like, how has Christ impacted your faith journey? And I yeah. would say when Bethy and I were researching our books and we wrote the first one, The Girls Who Choose God from the Bible, I realized in our research, Bethy and I realized that the woman at the well was the first written record we have of Christ announcing his divinity and his mission. And in choosing that person, it teaches us immense amounts of things. So one, he chose a woman, which right. in that context was not a honored person. Two, he chose someone who was a foreigner. It was not someone from his right. own tribe and his own people. Three, he chose someone who was poor. If she was out fetching water, that meant she didn't have a servant to do it for her. So in choosing that very person, he is telling us who, quote unquote, 
is worth hearing, is worth being the announcer. Because he told her that yeah. to go tell everybody else, right? Yeah. He commissioned her to go. So his mouthpiece was a poor foreign woman. That's huge. Yeah, that, that and then tells I us a lot. Yeah, a lot for women or those who are marginalized. Let that sit in your brain for a moment. How does that impact all of my opinions and all of my thoughts and all of my attitudes and actions towards anyone in those categories? And then I was talking to a friend of mine about like Christ teaching me about loving the other. And she pointed out something brilliant. And she said, think about how much we are the other compared to our heavenly. Oh, like the gap between us and a human is much smaller than the gap between us and deity. So if they can love me and they can tolerate my behavior, Mm -hmm. hmm, that teaches me about how I should feel towards someone who's choosing differently than I do. And it was just this moment of like, oh, (laughs) right. Just, yeah. Just having grace for other people because you want it for yourself as well. That's been something that's reoriented my life. And I'd also say, this sounds super interesting. One of the unexpected blessings that came out of marrying my husband and moving to the other side of the world is that I I quit my job. And my job was my life. I owned a business and I worked intense hours and it was my identity and it was my love. I would refer to it as my baby, right? This was my life. And all of a sudden I was uprooted and dropped on the literal other side of the world and had to come up with a new one of each of those. And on top of that, I didn't have church. So where I lived in India, the closest church was a plane ride away. And so I went to church about once a month. I can't Three believe the- that you actually went. That's a huge sacrifice to even go <laughs> once a month. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. So my husband would schedule business trips in the capital so that he and I would fly there on the weekend. Because I tried to take the train. And one time there's a 24-hour delay on the train. So like I completely missed church because, right? And one time we tried (laughs) to drive and it was 16 hours of driving to get to church. 16 hours. Yeah, we started flying. But we just started arranging it. And sometimes we had to pay for a hotel room. Sometimes I had friends in DC that I could crash bunk at their house, but it was an investment to go to church. But then I also got to go like eat Mexican food. So there was like, I got double whammy blessings for getting to go. We didn't have avocados in my little town and like avocados are key to my happiness. And it was good to have both kinds of rewards. But what ended up happening is that I had three weeks in a month where I was left to my own devices. This was before home church. There was no come follow me. I had to dig out my own path. And so in doing that, I literally ended up with a lot of free time that was otherwise consumed with callings and church meetings. And so I'd read general conference because we couldn't get conference. Our internet wasn't strong enough to stream conference. So I would read conference and then I would research and read. And out of all of that research and reading came our books. And so the Girls Who Choose God series started because Bethany's daughter asked us, where are the girls? Where are the stories of the girls? But it also came because Bethany and I realized that our heavenly parents, the proclamation in the family defines men and women as equals, but that it's not always what our world looks like. And clearly that's clear in issues like the Taliban taking over, right? Like those are huge examples of women not being treated as equals. But we even frankly have it within our own LDS culture. So for example, at that time, Bethany was the primary president and the sharing time story, the sharing time manual had 52 lessons in it, one for every week. And five of those lessons had a girl in them as the protagonist. And I'm not just talking about prophets and apostles, but like a kid is paying their tithing. That little kid is a boy. 
right? So now the stories of faithfulness were about boys. So we want women and girls to know that they can be faithful and righteous and powerful instruments in God's hands. We need to hand them a model, right? Yeah. We need models. And we have them. We have them. That's the great thing is we have them, but we just need to talk about them and teach them and encourage them. And our girls need to know this is possible for them. And our boys need to know that women are righteous, faithful, strong individuals too. It's important for both of them. So my sister-in-law was going to buy the books for their um, daughters. And my brother said, no, we're buying it for our sons. The girls who choose God books should be read by my sons, right? Yeah. That they also see women, that they have a correct understanding of women's role in Zion. So this unexpected ability of moving to the other side of the plan and following God's plan, I think freed me up in a way to do a much bigger life calling than the path I was on. And my business was doing good work. We were serving lots of help, like people who needed served. However, it was not maybe, and and I learned a lot. So I got skills that now help me on this current path, but I don't think I ever would have had the time or the space or the oomph to get on this new path. And this new path with Bethany and I being able to write books, I think has been a good use of my talents in Zion. And I think it's been helpful. So recently we released the Girls and Boys Guides to Heavenly Mother, two different books. You can find them at the Church History Museum or at BYU if you're ever in Utah or on Desert Books website or on Amazon. They're all available. But we went on a book tour and I spoke to this woman where she came up to my husband, actually, she was 92. And she said, this changes everything. And I thought about that. What exactly does this doctrine change? So if the proclamation on the family says men and women are to be equals, and we know that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother work as equals. Mm-hmm. And the reason we know this is because we have quotes from prophets and apostles. Okay, so we just pause for a second. Sometimes when we start to talk about Heavenly Mother, people get nervous because we are raised in the generation the Heavenly Mother was taboo. And as it turns out, the church historians have been able to trace that back to the 1960, a seminary teacher started propagating this. And it may have been discussed before or seen before, but this is the person who started like sending it out. No prophet or apostle has ever said we should not speak of Heavenly Mother. So the church website has a Mother in Heaven article. It it lists things and quotes of things that we know about Heavenly Mother. They cite a BYU Studies article called A Mother There, written by Dr. Paulson and Martin Plito. And they have 600 times Heavenly Mothers mentioned in church days from early days in the church to 2010. Nowhere was ever told we should not speak of her. This is something we've just yeah. made up. Yeah. So like this notion that we have, it's taboo. Like you don't talk about her. You can only think about her on your own. We don't talk about her publicly. We have to protect her. That was never. I think if the church has put her on the World Wide Web. That's public. So we can talk openly about Heavenly Mother. So we're going to transition to that because I really want to hear um, some of your thoughts about Heavenly Mother. So what if there is somebody out there who's, this is their first time thinking this doesn't have to be taboo. And I'm curious and I want to know where do they start to build a relationship with her? So there's two or three things in there. I have five different paths I want to go down because (laughs) you just asked a really I know it's a big question. One is when Bethany and I talk, We have lots of fun things to talk about and lots of fun things to speculate. When we write, especially books for children, we're very careful. So the quotes in our books are by prophets and apostles and church leaders. And so if you want to go and learn of Heavenly Mother just initially, 
then I would recommend our books are great, easy ways sure, yeah. to compiled. Or you can do what we did and do lots of research. And so if you go to the church's page and you start reading the mother in heaven, then you can Google word search heavenly mother, heavenly parents, and you start to read through. You go to the mother there article. BYU studies that is the most downloaded topic they've ever had. Yeah. If you want to read that article, it talks about all the different flavors. There's a website, Seeking Heavenly Mother, that has a resource section. And if you only want to do prophets and apostles and church leaders, you can totally read just that vein. If you're curious beyond that and you want to read scholarly or artistic interpretations, there's lots of other things there. And so I think you have to be in touch with what feels good to you. But I think your other question is a slightly different. So yeah. So let me pause here because there's now we've got two options here. One of them is I want to say heavenly mother is essential. This is not just nice by the way gospel principle. She's the mother of our souls. And we know this from prophets and apostles. Elder Ballard has talked about how Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother together design the plan for our lives. They've talked about Heavenly Mother being our destiny. Like you, if this is your destiny, if this is the nature of God, then you need to know Heavenly Mother. This is not just a some esoteric fringe topic. This is right. the mother of your soul, right? Yeah. So for everyone. But the question you asked me was also slightly different because you also talked about connecting to her. Yeah. Right. And so you can learn of her and there's lots of ways to do that. But there's also what we call in academic circles, primary research. Right. Right. So everything I'm giving to is secondary research. It's my experience, books that I've collected, articles that have been written, people have been thinking about this. But primary research or having a relationship with someone is actually having a relationship with her. And that's different. President Hinckley has cautioned us about praying to her. But I want to point out that we don't pray to Christ either, but we're told to have a relationship with him. So anything that is valid to reach Heavenly Father and Jesus is valid to reach Heavenly Mother. They're on the same team. So if the way you reach Christ is by taking a walk in the woods, is by communing. I do through art, or I do bead and textile art pieces. And so I create a lot. And I find that creating is one of the ways that I connect to deity because talk to us about how mm-hmm. that we, you can create gardens and create laughter and create these things because we are made in the image of the creators, all yeah. caps. And that that right? talk changed my life, literally right? to think because I, yeah. I always thought of creation as, oh, I have to be able to sing. I don't do any of those things. I can't draw. You know, me neither. I can't even draw a stick figure. And I always thought of those things. And he just opened my mind that I might go organize my pantry in a really great way. And that's creation. Okay, if you can organize pantry in a great way, can you come visit me? Because that is not my divine strength. Come on over. Well, if I didn't have kids that were always messing it up, but it just opened my mind. And it, it came at a time when I really needed that. And I think I think creation is such a great way to connect with the divine. Well, I mean, because that's what the they are. They're creators. Exactly. And if we know that's our destiny to become like them, that means creation, I would say, is a key component of becoming like yeah. them. So my husband is a businessman. He creates businesses, which is where lots of us spend eight to 10 hours of a day. Like a third of our life is spent. So if you can create a healthy, happy 
progressing organization for someone like what a marvelous creation on top of that he has a terrible color sense he fully hands all color decisions to me because he understands that's not his creation superpower and so I think having this idea that like the ways that we can become more godlike are extremely varied and if creation is one of those strong ones but even that the creation can be of a tidy pantry can be my art projects can be of talking to your child and you can be creation, literally even how you parent your child, that you're creating a home and a culture. My mom was a fabulous culture creation. Like I think of her as being like the CCC of our family, right? The chief Mm -hmm. culture officer of our family, because that was her creation more so than any of us. And I think that kind of, there's power in practicing being divine. We all know there's a gap, but in practicing the divinity that we have within us, I think that gets us closer to the divine. And I think that as the mother of our souls, mothers are important to the way that you are. I don't know. I have all girls. I think you said you have two daughters. Is that right? I have two daughters and two sons. So wouldn't you say that you are of equal importance to your sons as your husband? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about one of my sons is on a mission right now and he and I are very close. And when we talk on P-Day and he wants my opinion about someone he's teaching or something he's going through and we really connect on that. And I thought, how come when we think about heavenly mother, we think, oh, we just need to teach this to girls. I love that you wrote the book for boys too. I know you've thought of this, but don't, I want my sons to know they have a connection with me and they look to me for guidance and in spiritual guidance and temporal guidance, whatever. Don't they need that connection too with absolutely heavenly mother. So I say all the time, like, this is something I think that women naturally gravitate towards But simply because we gravitate towards it does not mean it's not a doctrine for men. And so that the lessons that men can learn for Heavenly Mother, I think you just modeled perfectly when you talk about you and your son, that that it is key for sons to also know that they have a perfect Heavenly Mother. Because also, um, not everyone has that option. And so President Kimball is one of the prophets who talked the most about Heavenly Mother, not just Heavenly Parents, but Heavenly Mother specifically. And... I personally think it's because his own mother died when he was young. And so he felt the lack of an earthly mother presence. And all of us are not perfect, but there's some people who have raw deals with their parents, yeah. right? Yeah. And so to know that you have a heavenly mother and heavenly father who love you perfectly is an absolute gift to people. So Elder Holland talks about what would the inhabitants of this world know to the heavenly parents are reaching across mountains and plains and rivers to connect with them. So I lived in India for eight years and people in India, the vast majority of them are not Christian. And so when they feel the need to turn to God, they're not turning to Christ, at least with that terminology. You could say Mm -hmm. that different religions go by different names and maybe it all is all the same, but like in, in their minds, that's not the label on their deity. But in my head, it wasn't because Jesus Christ wasn't available to them or didn't love them. It was because that was not their tradition. So we have the tradition of not speaking of Heavenly Mother. But does that mean she's not available to us and that she doesn't love us and she's not concerned about us? Like, You and I, in our imperfect parenting, care desperately about the health and well-being of our children. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Mother, in her perfect parenting, has got to care and more, right? It just makes sense. Yeah, and I I, I can totally see that and how our own motherhood can help us to draw closer to her because we can understand 
that relationship through our own motherhood. So Laura Erickson is one of the women who just pulled together an art show called the Reflections on Heavenly Mother by the Certain Women Group. And, and she was recently in the Salt Lake Tribune saying about when she became a mother, that's when Heavenly Mother became more important to her. Mm-hmm. But again, I also want to point out, it doesn't matter if you're married, single, right, right. mother, not yes. male, female, like Heavenly Mother is your mother. And we know this from prophets and apostles who taught us. There's also amazing stories about Heavenly Mother reaching people, Heavenly Mother helping people on their path. And I think that I understand because I was raised with the same taboo. Once I realized that the church was speaking of her and it was okay, it just almost in some ways opened a floodgate because why would you not want more love in the universe? Why would you not want like more care in the universe. And so I would not want my children to not be loved by their father. And so having this understanding that like we are loved by both father and mother and brother, there's nothing bad in that. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's only good things to take away from that thought. Yeah. Right. And I think for me, it's like, it's always been there. And I can think of experiences that I've had in the past where I haven't been aware of heavenly mother being there. She was there trying to tell me something. And I wasn't really, I didn't connect it at that time. But when I realized that I was like, oh, so she's always been there. It's just a matter of discovering her. And I love what you've talked about with personal revelation. Again, it's, we can come to her and find her in a way, just like we can find heavenly father in a way Mm -hmm. that speaks to us. We can find her in a way that speaks to us and that is unique and for our own good and our own path. And so I'd like to lay down something along these lines, because I think that you told me about a year ago, this wasn't in your head, right? A couple of years and, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever amount of time. Yeah. And you can see since that amount of time, your life has been blessed, mm-hmm. that your life is richer for this truth. And Sister Patricia Holland said, actually, we have a sacred obligation to teach, especially our young sisters about Heavenly Mother. And we know that when you have truth, it can bless people's lives. If people have started to read about Heavenly Mother and read about what prophets and apostles have said about her, the knowledge of, that we have of her is real and can bless people. And so I think there's a natural evolution that when you understand that the church is fine speaking of Heavenly Mother, the prophets yeah. and apostles speak of Heavenly Mother, that this is our doctrine, really, <laughs> that there's then this natural evolution to say Let's make sure that we speak in such a way that honors this truth and helps others. And so now when I bear my testimony and I say, I know my heavenly father loves me. To me, that's a huge, obviously infinite part of it. But the other part of it is that my heavenly mother loves me. And again, we have quotes by prophets and apostles that say our Heavenly Mother love us. Should not be surprised to any of us, yeah. but that's actually doctrine. And when you stand to spare your testimony or when you're talking with people, so Martin Plato is one of the authors of a mother there article, mm-hmm. and he talks about having a mother tongue and this natural way of speaking of Heavenly Mother, because a mother tongue is for me, English, right? That English is the way that I naturally communicate and naturally express myself. And so having a mother tongue about Heavenly Mother to me was this challenge to where appropriate and where doctrinally accurate, it makes sense to speak of Heavenly Mother. And so we know our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother created the plan for our lives. And we say our Father's plan for us, it's actually more accurate to say our Heavenly Parents plan for us. Right. Our Heavenly Parents love us. Our Heavenly Parents sent their Son to die for us. 
And still with all the yeah. research and reading and things we've done, Christmas came around last year and there's this artist that had portrayed Heavenly Mother and Christ and like with kind of a Christmas theme and like Heavenly Mother, Mary and Christ. And I was like, because oh, wow. it had never occurred to me, even with all like the reading I had in my head that that was real, right? That our mother sent her son. So if you think about the emotions you have in sending your son off mm-hmm. on his mission, right? Like that is right. real. Right. There's a big mission, right? When you know your child's going to go be the savior and knowing what he would have to experience. So that makes that to me, that immediately shows you the like the gap between us and deity, because her heart must be so much braver and stronger than mine to be able to manage that, that, that she must have infinite capabilities if she's going to survive that. And so I think from yeah. my standpoint, we as Latter-day Saint women have a unique opportunity to help bless others' lives in talking of Heavenly Mother. The more we appropriately talk of her, the more it can bless people's lives. And in not talking of her, we're withholding that opportunity. And that's not what we're famous for, right? No, no. We are famous for blessing people's lives. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I know how I grew up like wanting to be close to Heavenly Father and to mm-hmm. Jesus. Now I'm just pulling in one more person who's perfect, right. who loves Perfectly me infinitely. unified. Yep, exactly. It's beautiful. It's just, it's very hopeful and just feels so right. feels so, so yep. good. I had a woman who came up, I had two different people at different stages of life talk to me about how much this doctrine bolstered their worth. And, and if you've been watching the Facebook whistleblower was just talking about Instagram and mm-hmm. social media and how much it especially hurt girls. Yeah. So when our children have all of these other exposures that, and it doesn't even have to be like rated our movies, it can be body images that are detrimental to pour into a young girl's brain. And so it doesn't have to be something as insidious as if things we're already looking out for. It can just be the gap between what is present and our divine destiny. And the more that we talk about our, to our young women, especially about their divine destiny. So we have a prophetic quote that says that the heavenly mother is women's destiny. And that that would eradicate our concerns, that that we would understand our place in the universe. And so the more that you can talk to, more that we can talk to our daughters about their worth and their destiny, then I think the more robust their souls will be to withstand all of the other difficulties that come. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So we're out of time and I could talk to you all day. I think this is, this has been so good. I know for me, and I know that my listeners are going to love hearing this, but is there anything that you would say to wrap up? I usually end on the question, (laughs) how have you seen and felt the savior in your journey on the covenant paths? Mm -hmm. Is anything else that you would add? I know you've already shared about that or anything else that we've talked about today. The one thing I'd add is that truth matters. And if we believe in being truth bearers as being ensigns, as being light on the hill, then this truth matters. It needs to be part of our light. Truth matters. That's so profound and so true. If people want to go and find your books, the things that you've written, find out more about you, where can they go to do that? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram as MacArthur Krishna underscore creates. 
but I bet I'm the only MacArthur Christian if someone just put that in my name. <laughs> uh, it's not that common of a name. Or, of course, books can be found if you're in Utah. They can be found at Church History Museum and at BYU Library. Online, they can be found at Desert Book and on Amazon. I think Siegel and Coventry and a couple of others are mm-hmm. all carrying them. So we have the Girls Who Choose God series um, about women from the Bible, one Book of Mormon, one Church History, one. Another book that talks about families, about earthly families and heavenly families. And then the two, Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother and Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother. And all of those are appropriate for both boys and girls both. So that's great. Thank you so much for taking the time. I've loved talking to you, hearing about how you've had the courage to just follow and have the trust to follow the personal revelation that you've received and the blessings that's come from that. And just to hear about your experience with researching about Heavenly Mother and sharing that with all of us. And so grateful. So thank you so much. The hour went really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And now for this week's journal questions. MacArthur shared her thoughts about Christ and the woman at the well. She discussed how this story tells us who is of worth in Jesus's eyes. The woman at the well was a poor foreign woman, and he asked her to be his mouthpiece. How does this insight impact the way you see and treat others? President Hinckley has cautioned that we don't pray to Heavenly Mother, but MacArthur pointed out that we don't pray to Jesus either, but we know we can have a relationship with him. The same is true for Heavenly Mother. We don't pray to her, but we can still connect with her. Think about things you do to feel close to the Savior. How could those things also connect you to Heavenly Mother? Write down your thoughts about how you can build or grow your relationship with her. How has your life been blessed by your knowledge of and connection to Heavenly Mother? Who in your life could benefit from your talking to them about Heavenly Mother? Write down the names of people you feel impressed to share the doctrine of Heavenly Mother with. Write how you will share to bless their lives and then act on it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you did, please share it with a friend. I would love it if you would leave a review and rate it on Apple Podcasts. This actually helps more women find the podcast and embrace their own journey on the covenant path. To find more ways to be a part of the Spiritually Minded Women community, head over to spirituallymindedwomen.com. For more inspiration, follow along on Instagram at spirituallymindedwomen. Have an amazing day. I'm cheering you on in your journey.